the Select Star Podcast, your resource for innovative technology, developer topics, and more. Here's your host, Margo McCabe from the HarperDB team. Welcome to the Select Star Podcast, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Um, today, I'm super excited. We have James Quick on, who you might be familiar with through social media and live streams and other content that's out there. But um, James is a developer advocate at Auth0 and super involved with the developer and tech community. Um, my colleague and I actually were on a live stream a couple weeks ago or a couple weeks ago with James and talked a little bit about HarperDB and what we do. And so um, now I'm super excited to kind of flip the flip the switch and hear a little bit more about James and have you be the featured guest. So thanks for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. And as we were just saying, happy Monday. It's been it's been a busy Monday as they always are. So it's good to just have a fun conversation to break it up a little <laughs> I definitely definitely need a little break in my day. It's been a busy one for me too. Yeah. And it's I don't know about you, but in Denver it's been like really rainy and gloomy and um which you know, we get snow here, but usually there's at least sunshine. So when it's gloomy and cloudy, I'm like so sleepy. <laughs> yep. It's been probably the same here. The weather, like temperature wise, has been really nice, but the last couple of days it has rained a lot. So it's a little, little not as exciting outside. <laughs> yeah. That's okay though. That happens. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so James, maybe start off by just sharing a little bit about your background, your story, whatever kind of bio you'd want to share with listeners or listeners if they're not already familiar with you. Yeah. Uh, so I have a degree in computer science. Um, I actually probably resonate more with people that go through boot camps or that are self-taught because I spent uh, and still spend so many hours just on YouTube uh, watching videos from other content creators uh, and learning constantly. So I, I feel like I've learned so much more after college than I ever did in college. But uh, when pretty I graduated, <laughs> what was that? That's pretty standard, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's lots of there's lots of things that I had just never done that you would expect people to get experience with having a computer computer science degree that I just I didn't get. Um, but I think that's that's the cool part of the industry of always having the opportunity to learn. So I started my career out as a technical evangelist at Microsoft, which was a lot of relevant to what we'll talk about, the content creation stuff. And I really lucked into that, to be honest. Um, I applied for two separate jobs at Microsoft that I didn't get. And then they kind of saw uh, my technical skills combined with social and uh, liking to be around people skills and thought that the technical evangelist role would be good. So I started doing conferences and, and YouTube videos and did that for several years, then did software development and architecture at FedEx here in Memphis. And then a little over a year ago, joined as a developer advocate for Auth0, continuing to do uh, more content and just general engagement with the community. Okay, very cool. And so how is there a difference or is there a big difference between being a technical evangelist versus developer advocate? I know sometimes those terms are interchangeable <laughs> in developer relations, so I'm just curious um, I mean, did you draw a lot from that experience with what you're doing now and just kind of build on top of that or? Yeah, they, so they're, they're kind of two words, I think that uh, are titles that get used more or less interchangeably. Um, I think you'll hear less technical evangelists now, you'll hear more developer advocate. That seems to be the trend. Even the technical evangelist title at Microsoft, I think is gone and they've kind of migrated to the developer advocate. Okay. Um, there's one train of thought of a technical evangelist is someone who's going out there and kind of talking to people who don't know about a product yet. 
versus developer advocate as someone who's kind of helping the developers maybe that are already using our product. I don't really distinguish myself. It's all about just helping developers in the community and advocating for them. Like, sorry to use the word that's in the title and the description, uh, but that's, re- that's really what it is. And right. uh, to do that, I think earning trust in the community is super important. Like just being genuine members of the community first and having your company or your product kind of follow behind that. If you build those relationships and earn trust first, uh, you'll be able to do, do your job and represent your company and or uh, product really well. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's that's an interesting point you make. I think the quicker and, and larger that a company grows, the more you're probably spending your time dealing with, as you said, developers that are already familiar with and using the product. Um, I'm just thinking, putting myself in those shoes, it's interesting being at a small tech startup because we're slowly transitioning a little more to that, but still, you know, constantly having conversations of just educating and mm-hmm. um, getting the word out there. And it's, it's, I think it's, um, it's interesting for people on the outside that probably aren't familiar with roles like this. It's, it's so not the same as sales, but at the same time, <laughs> it's like you are educating the community and teaching them about the options that are out there, but you're not, you're not trying to push something on them or say, not saying that that sales always does that either. But um, I just think there's this interesting kind of intersection between like creating content, being a resource for the community, community, but at the same time, being able to promote your product because if it is a fit, then people are going to get excited about it. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing I love about kind of being in that space too, is like, if you put the right content out there, then people will start asking questions and getting curious. And it's a lot more, I think, engaging and kind of like a two-way conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And that's like, I don't know if I told you this, I think I did, but I came across your profile on Instagram, just kind of in the developer, like hashtags and stuff. And uh, that was the first, my first exposure to Harper and then uh, reached out to you. And then we ended up doing the stream on the Yossiro channel, which was a lot of fun. Um, So I'd say in that regards, like that's exactly how it's supposed to work, right? Like I was interested from just being a developer and then uh, led to us talking about the product. Right. Yeah. And I, and that's another part about it. That's so fun. It's just the networking. Um, Like this podcast has been such a fun way to map, to connect and meet and chat with different people and just, help people share their tips and stories and and have conversations because um, yeah, it's it's like every single person is going to have something that resonates with the listeners, um, some sort of tip or something that they're curious about. So that's another fun part about it with, with the social media and everything. I know some people are kind of resistant to social media, but I think in the tech community, especially it's like Twitter is, is so embraced. And I think Instagram is becoming more popular too, as there's such great resources out there and it's a great way to meet people and ask for tips and advice. And um, like, there's always going to be some trolls, but I very rarely see people like actually being mean to each other for, if you ask a question, someone's not going to make fun of you for not knowing So, for the most part. (laughs) Yeah. Twitter for me, like I'm in several different types of slacks and discords. Twitter is I think the biggest community I would say and the most impactful community that I'm a part of. Like I run a Discord server, which is great, but just the relationships that I've made from Twitter um, is is huge. And I think to your point, especially during COVID times where we're all virtual, it's such an easy excuse to say, hey, random stranger, I saw you did this really cool thing. I'd love for you to join my podcast or my live stream, or I'd like to do a YouTube video on your product. Like I've definitely used that myself to kind of build my friend network by just reaching out to people that I've never met or talked before. And we kind of have that built-in excuse because we almost have nothing else to do. It's like when I was a freshman in college, it's so easy to just go up to a random person and say, hey, I'm James, I'm a freshman. 
what's your name versus if you're a senior and you're doing that, it's a little right. bit different, right? Because it, it feels like you should have already done that. Right. But we just have this wide open opportunity uh, to just reach out to people, meet cool people, learn from them, talk to them, all the sort of stuff that you just mentioned. Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think the worst thing that can happen is maybe someone's too busy and, and doesn't get back, mm-hmm. to you, which it's not the end of the world. I mean, it, it happens to me. And sometimes, you know, people forget to check their their messages and, and the message requests and things like that. But yeah, again, I mean, I think the, the worst case scenario is that people are maybe too busy or say, oh, let's check back in three months or so and have a conversation. But I don't think anyone's ever going to be like, I can't believe you would reach out to me and <laughs> ask me that. So and that's a funny um, example you use with college because I recently have been feeling that like with neighbors because mm-hmm. we bought a house a, a few years ago and I, I was like, we should have just gone and brought pie and done <laughs> the thing to like all of our neighbors when we first moved in because now I feel like it's too awkward to go yep. introduce ourselves now. So that's definitely a, a real world example that I don't think exists online because no one's going to be like, we've well, been on Twitter for 10 years. <laughs> Not quite the same, but so, so yeah, along those lines, I, I'm, I'm curious if, you know, you could share tips about, um, I guess kind of how you've come so far with just content creation and community. You obviously have a large following on Twitter and other places and your live streams. And, um, I see people constantly in the developer and just tech community as a whole looking for advice and just saying, you know, I just started my YouTube channel and, I have like 40 subscribers. Does anyone have tips on on how to grow that quickly and and how to be more engaging? And I know no one wants to be spammy. And I, I see people all the time say, "Well, the worst thing you can do is ask for followers." I <laughs> say, "Like, mm-hmm. help me out. Like, give me a follow." Which when people do that, I don't judge them. I don't think there's anything wrong with that because everyone starts somewhere. But um, yeah, just curious about I guess general tips for people that might be where you were a few years ago or whenever you first started and just how you can consistently grow, but also stay genuine. Cause when you get more and more followers, it's probably harder to make those authentic connections. Yeah. I think the, the genuineness is, is definitely the key and it's, it's definitely one of the hardest things to do, especially as you grow. Um, and I've got several different points I want to make on the topic, but um, for me, like I started a YouTube channel as an example for my job at Microsoft because I was giving these kind of like lecture workshops, I guess, with high school and university students on how to create games. And so I would go through the same like 45 minute demo. Here's how you do X, Y, y and Z. And I realized like I'm doing this whole thing over and over again. Why don't I put that in some sort of format that not only other people can benefit from, but as people like in these workshops would break out individually they wouldn't all be asking me the same question. I could say like, go watch this video and you could see exactly what I would tell you live here in person. Mm -hmm. So I started my YouTube channel just with that in mind. It didn't have any goals of like becoming a YouTuber or doing content creation long-term or anything like that. And so I I did that series. I did other YouTube videos while I was at Microsoft. And then I didn't for a couple of years when I was at FedEx. And I realized I just missed it. Like I missed being able to create, being able to share with people. So three years or so ago, I got back into it, like doing it consistently, trying to do um, a video every week about, and I think that's a big part of it is making sure uh, that you're consistent. It doesn't have to be once a week. It could be once a month or whatever it is, but making sure you're a part of the things that people see in the developer community is that if there's a conversation on Twitter, are you a part of it? And are you a helpful participant in that conversation? If there's a new topic that comes out in web development, could you be the person that has a video to help people learn that topic? There's, I don't know if, if you or people out there watch uh, the show New Girl, but there's this one episode where um, a woman is basically trying to get a man's attention from another woman and she's asking for advice on how to do it. 
And the advice that she gets is the quote, like, just be there. Every time he turns around, be there. Like, be there when he gets a drink, be there when he gets food, be there when he goes to the dance floor. And it seems so whimsical, but if if you're there and you're genuine in all these conversations that happen on Twitter, your YouTube videos, your blog articles, whatever it is that you have to share, if you're there for people, people start to notice and then they want to learn more from you. So if you're able to provide that value to people consistently, have your name just be something that they see and and interact with, it's going to help you earn trust. And then the result of that is to grow. And I hear a lot of people's advice in terms of building a community or growing followers on Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, whatever. A lot of people's really, to me, unhelpful advice is, oh, don't worry about number of subscribers and blah, blah, blah. Just create genuine content. And I think that's, it's a good sentiment in terms of like, you still want to stay genuine. I think that's the key of that is stay genuine with your content. But if you're not, if you want to grow, there's nothing wrong with that. Like I can have aspirations of wanting to get my content in front of more people right? because it, I think it provides genuine value to people, not because I have this like vanity number that I want to achieve. So I can go tell people I have X number of subscribers. So I'm really adamant that like I should be constantly getting better at the content that I do. And I should also be creating the content that people are looking for. Mm -hmm. And this is maybe a little controversial. There's like, I think a lot of people look down on kind of gaming the Twitter system, like how you post and what you post about and how you get interactions and stuff. If If you're doing stuff that people are interacting with and enjoying, I don't really know why that's a bad thing, honestly. Like if that's the stuff that people are looking for, and you can help provoke conversations or help provoke people to share things that they're working on so that other people get more exposure to it. I think that's what it's all about. And so it's a challenge, like, again, maintaining that genuineness. But no matter what things you do, what goals you have, or what things you do to try to increase your following or your brand or whatever, if you keep genuineness and like providing value to people at the core of it, I think you'll do fine. And I think you will see some growth and it'll kind of uh, help you in the end. Right. Yeah. Those are, those are all interesting points. And I think you've said a couple of times, it really is just about creating that content that people want. That's actually helpful, you know, not just going out there and I don't know, maybe pulling together things that you've already seen and like repeating it. I'm sure there's tons of content that overlaps, of course, but, um, you know, trying to be original, trying to fill in a gap. Like you see, as you said, you see people asking a question, maybe a couple of times and thinking, okay, maybe that's something I should blog about or build a video about. Um, but yeah, you also have an interesting point of it's okay to want more followers and to want engagement because if I've experienced that where I'm super excited about a new blog I wrote and you share it on Twitter and something happens with the algorithm and there's like two engagements, mm-hmm. then sometimes there's those silly tweets that are about nothing important at all. And there's like hundreds. So it's, it is, you know, it's, it's not, not, I don't even know if the word is disappointing, but it's okay to want people to see your content, as you said. and. Um, I've definitely seen people say that what you mentioned about, don't worry about the followers, just keep doing what you're doing. But a lot, I think a lot of times people that say that are the ones that have made it up to a certain tier where they have gotten X amount of followers and it do have high engagement. So maybe they're at a point where they're like, okay, I'm not as worried about that anymore, but everyone has to start somewhere. And it's, I think getting those first, especially with Twitter and and YouTube subscribers, followers, like they always say those first 500 or that first thousand are the hardest. And so um, I think at first people focus not on it a lot. And at a certain point, you maybe shift your focus and that's okay. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. It's not like spammy or 
it doesn't mean you're not genuine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just means you want to build the community. So I, I think that's good for people to hear because it's like, it's okay to care about. <laughs> yeah. At the end of the day, uh, to your point about the blog post, like if you do the coolest thing or you feel like you have, like, this is something that people really need to know and they don't, they don't know about that content or they don't see it or they don't read it, then it it's not providing value. And I've seen like, I've got lots of content creators that I follow that have like fairly low like subscribers or whatever followers, whatever. And the content is amazing. And so I just like, I look at these situations and I look at the content that I produce consistently that was good over the course of a couple of years and it didn't have growth. And I see that with other people as well. So I, I think it kind of under undervalues those people's efforts to say that like your growth just comes from being genuine and or just creating value. It's just, it's just not true. You have to learn how to like do content that people are looking for. Mm-hmm. And that like, there's a, there's a balance and it's something that I really work on, but like something as simple as your thumbnails on YouTube can be the, a huge difference between I've had a video get like 300,000 views in two weeks. And I've had a video get 500 views in the same amount of time. And the difference might just be the thumbnail. So why would I not like do a more creative thumbnail with a little bit of ambiguity and a little bit of mystery to now get that many more people's eyes on the valuable content that I have? Why would I not do that? So that's the kind of thing that, again, I feel like we we like undervalue people's time saying, just be consistent and just provide value because it's not just that. You have to figure out how to get it in front of people. And yeah. I don't, again, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah, yeah, and that's a good idea. Look, look back at what's really worked and try to figure out why. I think maybe sometimes it's a stroke of luck. I mean, maybe the, the right person mm-hmm reshared something or, or latched onto it and, and did share it. But I would say, you know, just as much, or if not more, it's also going to be about like that one keyword you included, or as you said, having an interesting graphic. So that's a good tip too, is it's okay to kind of do your own data analysis on <laughs> your own content and look at what's worked and what's not, and, and maybe go back and rework some of the, that good content that didn't get, you know, didn't get the attention you wanted. Like it's okay to go find something from a year ago and try to re-release it with something more eye-catching. Um, it's, yeah, it's not, it doesn't have to be the stigma of like, you should be putting out content all day, every day. And like, it'll just catch on when it does. <laughs> it's okay to do some actual kind of tweaking and, and get it to where it is. So I think those are all really great tips. Um, the, another thing I was curious about is, which you touched on is, is to make content, you know, in response to community questions and things. But I also see people asking a lot about like, how do you know, you know, what, what should I be focusing on? Or like, you you know, YouTubers, what should my next video be sometimes taking polls? Um, you know, how do you, do you usually plan out your content far in advance? Do you just like kind of try a lot of different things? Um, like, I guess, what's the best way for, for people to plan that out? And how often are you balancing just general educational content for the community and just general, like awesome conversations and interviews versus um, stuff that's actually going to be applicable towards your company and your job and, and actually talking a little bit more about, you know, security in that space. Like, how do you balance all of that? Yeah. Um, so I am in an interesting space in my role as a developer advocate, and then also being a content creator. And those are two, the lines get blurred sometimes, but two more or less distinct things. So my personal okay. YouTube channel is everything that I want to do. Some of that has included all zero, 95% of it has not. Um, then when I get to the all zero side, like that stuff is pretty heavily focused on all zero on security identity, that sort of stuff. I think the general 
piece of advice that I have for people like looking to create content and kind of wondering what content to create is first just do stuff that you enjoy. Like mm-hmm. it's so much easier for me to to wake up and record a video when it's something I'm excited about than it is for something I'm not. It's just, it's, it's really kind of that simple. Right. And I have people ask me a lot. Like I, I do my full-time job. I do YouTube videos. I'm teaching a boot camp. I run a discord server and they're like, how do you do so much? And the answer is like, these are all things that I just, I would do in my spare time regardless. When you do mm-hmm. stuff that you enjoy, you're not having to force yourself to do it. And I'm pretty adamant with myself. Like, I don't want to force myself to get up early to finish a video. If I don't get a video that week, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Because I just I just didn't have it that day or that week. And there's nothing wrong with that. So right. I first recommend just like do stuff that you enjoy. The second thing, and I want to maybe kind of push back a little bit on something you said earlier about like finding a niche. I feel like the more experience I get in the space, the like less niche you have to have. Mm-hmm. Like consistency in an area is really right. is really helpful. But in terms of being that much different than anyone else, you don't really have to be. It seems really odd. Like right. you bring your personality and bring your perspective. But the topics, like if you look at my video, my most successful videos, they're not that different from like 10 other videos. Right. People just look for different voices and different perspectives on the same topic. When I go to learn something new, I go to YouTube and I look at articles and I watch five videos and I read a couple articles. Like people need multiple resources on any given specific topic. So going back to like, do what you enjoy, I think is first and foremost. And then don't overthink if someone else has done this before. There's room for tons of content creators. And I'm in a Discord server full of content creators. And each week I'm like, oh, I've got that same idea for a video. I've done, I did that one like last week. I did that one a month ago. But we're all super supportive of each other because we know we each have our own take that people are looking for. Right. Um, the third thing is for people that are like looking to get started is just to get started. Like, I don't know how to like <laughs> over, I guess it's just really simple because I, we all, most of us, a lot of us like overthink and we want to be perfect and we we're scared to release something that we don't feel a hundred percent is right. That's, it's one of my strengths and weaknesses is that I don't necessarily need something to be a hundred percent. I'm good with 90 most of the time. So sometimes I lose a little bit of that 10%. But what that means more for me is I'm able to continue to iterate. So I'll put something out there that it's not 100% perfect. But then I'll make that next change on the next video and continue to build on that. So as people are looking to get started in content, whether it's like tweeting or blog posts or YouTube videos, like make that first thing, then make the second thing and then see what people say, make the third thing and continue to iterate on that process. And your content overall will get better and better because or it will get better and better, but you guarantee yourself it won't get better if you never do the first one because you won't start. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's better to just get your stuff out there than to spend all your time trying to get something perfect and just releasing one thing after, you know, after pouring your heart and soul into it, because then you're going to be exhausted. And mm-hmm. then you still might get comments about, oh, you know, you forgot this or, oh, here's here's a way to tweak it. And it, it's, I think that that's a good way to do it is leave a little bit of room for improvement and just get something out there. And it's it's okay to say, hey, this isn't a finished product or hey, here's an idea. I'm just starting and just kind of get community feedback. Like it doesn't have to be perfectly polished. Everyone, I mean, there's no such thing as like the perfect YouTube video or the perfect blog. So, um, you know, don't like break your back trying to get there. <laughs> and yeah, I, I, and again, as you said about it's okay to have the same content. Yeah, of course, there's a reason that, um, that there's certain trending topics like 
there's a reason that certain hashtags on Twitter always get retweeted like JavaScript and um, a couple others. Like there's certain things that there is just are just always going to be popular. And so taking a different twist on something or even doing a tutorial using the exact same tools and building the same app, but just describing it in a different way, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. So I think that's a good place to start too, is as you mentioned, start with things you like, things, you know, things you enjoy, but also look out there for ideas, you know, see what other content creators are doing that you like, and maybe take something they did and like tweak it a little bit. Um, it's, it's okay to get inspiration. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I I appreciate that, that outlook on it too. (laughs) I think that's honestly something I personally struggle with is I, when I'm, when it's time for me to write a new blog or do something, I'll go and look at what I've already written about and see, you know, search for a topic that's an idea I have. And sometimes in my head, I'm like, Oh, well, tons of people have been writing about that this week. So maybe I shouldn't, but that's okay. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Maybe that's because there's a need for that content. So it's okay to, to, to write about what other people are talking about. So I appreciate that outlook. Um, cool. Well, I think those are all, all really great tips. And, um, as you said, just get started and it's all learning process and, um, you can improve and and get better as you move along. Um, and, and just the, the networking part of it, I like, do you, do you find that you still use Twitter and use platforms like that as a place to like ask questions and get advice and be like, Hey, I'm stuck on this, or what do people think about this? Because I think that's another really great thing about things like social media. You can you can ask those questions. It's okay to look dumb or to look like a beginner or something about different topics because everyone is an expert at something and then not at a lot of things. So um <laughs> that's probably like one of the last points about it is to not be afraid to kind of use the community to to help you along, which I'm I'm sure you've done and, and probably still do. 100 percent Yeah, Twitter is. Twitter's probably my number one go-to. Like I think the stereotypical developer spends a lot of time on Stack Overflow and I've certainly found a lot of answers on Stack Overflow. But when I ask questions, I'm more ask on Twitter. Like I, I can't tell you the last time I've posted something on Stack Overflow. And the reason is that like the people that I've chosen to interact with, the people that I follow are kind of in that same realm and they have experience with the technologies that uh, I'm using, or in this case, like if I have a question about Harper, like I might tag you on on Twitter, right? Because I, after we've gotten to know each other a little bit, then you're after you have a little bit of that relationship, people are much more likely to uh, to try to help you out. So mm-hmm. Twitter is is a huge one for me. Um, again, I run a Discord server, which has been really fantastic to see it grow. It's been about a year, and it's up to like 1,500 people. And the idea there is just being really collaborative people there's content creators there's people that are sharing stuff that they're creating there's people that are asking questions there's people that are answering those questions so like now when like i have a lot of kind of random questions on youtube or random emails or uh, dms on twitter it's it's really kind of cool for me i think to say hey like i can i can try to answer this for you but i've also got this community of people that if you ask here, like multiple people are going to be able to respond. And then next time you have another question, like it doesn't just like, I don't want to be the gatekeeper on an answer because I can't, sometimes you can't keep up with all the messages and things that you get. So being able to point people to another community that I really believe in as a genuine resource for people is really cool because that helps. Like if they get helped, then the next question that comes up, they might be able to answer for someone else. And it kind of like snowballs. And so you get this really cool interactive interactiveness between people you get questions and answers you get more and more people starting to create content like we said just like just create your first thing and go from there we get more and more people doing that sort of thing uh so that's really cool uh twitter discord i'm in several slacks a few other discords as well having those people 
around you virtually to be able to answer questions and then to get inspired by. Like I, one piece of advice that I've kind of got a contrarian opinion on is you shouldn't compare yourself to others. And and my thing is like, you should absolutely be comparing yourself to others because me as a content creator on YouTube, I never would have envisioned the growth I had had I not seen other people do it. Right. And my my thing is like, you never know what you're capable of until you see what other people are capable of. Like almost all the time, we're going to undersell what we can do because we don't know it. We haven't seen it yet for ourselves. But if you look and see someone else do it, now you're starting to kind of think, okay, if they were able to do it, what did they do? How can I learn from them to do that myself? And the one caveat to that, and this is where I think people, where people start with don't compare yourself to others, is you have to compare yourself to others with personal preservation in mind. You have to you have to take care of your surf yourself mentally first to make sure that you're not comparing in a way that's going to say, "Oh, I'm not capable of doing that. I'll never be that good, blah blah blah." You have to do it in a way that's like, "Okay, we have different experiences. They might be further along in this background than I am. They have whatever, whatever different experience or or skills or background or whatever it is. Like acknowledge those things and just understand that that doesn't mean that you're not capable of it." So in my mind, absolutely compare yourself to others, but take some self-preservation to make sure that you're doing it in a productive way for yourself instead of kind of holding yourself back. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's that's an awesome point. It's There's a difference between, oh, that person's more popular or more successful than me and they've, they've gotten this far and I've only gotten this far. There's, you know, there's a difference between feeling down about that and looking at like the popularity success comparison versus oh, okay, so I see that this person can achieve this and that means maybe I can achieve that. Like that's, we we have these examples around us all the time and I don't think, I don't, for the most part, again, you know, there's always those, there are a couple bad seeds, but I think for the most part, people on social media and all these platforms, like that's their goal is just providing an educational resource and being a being an example, not like in your face, like, oh, look how far I've come and, and look what I've done. Mm-hmm. Like, especially when people post, you know, what it's like to be an engineer, senior engineer at X company or like a day in the life of, you know, leading a team. Like I, I, you know, I've I've seen a couple comments on things like that of like, oh, why is this person just bragging that they've gotten to that position? But that that's not the point. The point is I'm sharing something with you. You can see how far I've come and how I got here. And maybe that will help inspire you and give you the tips to get there too. So um, yeah, I I think that's a, a really interesting way to look at it and just good reminder that um, I think for the most part, people just want to help each other out and not, you know, be there to brag or anything. <laughs> yeah. And I'll, I'll definitely agree with that. Like, especially on YouTube, I think people, people are really skeptical of, of you, of commenters on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And I've certainly like, I've gotten a few off the wall comments. Most of the time they're so off the wall that you couldn't even possibly take it seriously. Like it's yeah. so, You're like, it's so you out there video or do you? <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, okay, well, thanks for watching the video and just move on. (laughs) And there's some that are a little more realistic that are just negative and that happens. But I would say like 98% of comments that I get on YouTube are just really supportive. Mm -hmm. And the thing when I post something on Twitter, people are really supportive. And I, this may be a little bit of a surprise, like kind of having an audience, but I'm still pretty self-conscious about sharing things that I work on. And it's kind of a struggle for me because I work on content for work. I work on content myself. I do personal projects. I just started a podcast. Like I do all these things. And it's I really want to share them all, but I also don't want to just like every day be like, new article, new video, new podcast. So I have to kind of 
uh, kind of rein myself in and, and almost force myself to share more than I do. And right. I'm kind of curious what other people's perspectives are. Uh, but it is like, it's still not completely natural to share that stuff. But I've learned from other people doing it. If you don't share it, no one's going to know. And so if you want people to see or listen or read or whatever, you have to you have to share it with people. And you can kind of get creative on how you do that. Like, can you take a 30 second clip from your video or like a code snippet from your article and like highlight that in Twitter so that people can get value right there. And then they're like, oh, maybe I need to watch or read this whole thing so I get the full value. Mm-hmm. So you can get more creative with it to make it more interesting for people, but it's still a challenge. Like it's not easy, um, even for people who have audiences uh, to to consist- consistently share their stuff. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah, that's a, I think um, good for you to mention is that people at, at any level, you know, putting content out there, especially sometimes like personal blogging and sharing experiences and things, it's still, um, that can be nerve wracking and, and you don't, as much as people say, Oh, ignore the haters, you know, don't <laughs> respond or don't read those comments. It's even like famous people talk about it all the time. Well, it's really hard not to. And if people do have constructive criticism, you want to make sure you're not missing that and missing the people that are really trying to help by suggesting like, Hey, maybe you can improve this versus the ones, as you said, that they're just, there to just <laughs> make a comment that yeah. makes sense. so um yeah but but yeah we're all in the same boat that's something that's good to remember is that no matter what level people are at they're still they still have to work hard to put this content out there and it still can be sometimes a little scary and you're not sure how people will react but you got to just do it <laughs> as you said yep. it's easier said than done but um it is. yeah you got to start somewhere <laughs> that's right that's well, one oh sorry uh, go ahead I was just one one last thing like and it's hard it's easier said than done. I think that's one thing I've done well in my career is acknowledge things that would be helpful for me like if someone gave me the advice of like you want to be a YouTuber create that first YouTube video like as nervous as I would be I can distance myself from the emotional aspect of it and say like like someone else with this experience is telling me this is the right thing to do so I should go ahead and do it. And I think that's that's been really helpful in my career is forcing myself to do the things that make me incredibly nervous that I'm like terrified to do, but still do it because like, practically speaking, I know it's worth it. And I know it will help me in the end. So I again, I just encourage people like, if you if you hear advice, whether it's for me or or someone else, and you agree with it, and it makes sense, but you're just scared to to do it, just try with everything you have to force yourself because it's probably (laughs) worthwhile. And you probably already agree it's worthwhile. It's just hard to actually make that step. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I've definitely um, talked to people who say, you know, for example, public speaking is like one of their biggest fears. And so it's so cool because then they've decided that their their biggest goal right now is to be featured, you know, be a guest on a podcast or be a guest on a live Mm -hmm. thing. Like I've actually spoken with people that have said that and they're like, I just have to start somewhere and I'm really nervous. And I think that's so cool to just like face that fear head on and be like, because this is like the biggest roadblock I have right now, that's my biggest goal is to, is to do that and just start. So, um, yeah, I think those are, those are all really awesome tips and, and thank you. Cause you know, even a lot that you're saying is resonating with me since I try to do a little bit of <laughs> a little bit of that too, like most people do that are out there. So that's all super helpful. Um, just to pivot a little bit, um, I guess over into your world, your, your more working world. Um, I know we don't have tons of time to get like too in depth, but I'd love to hear, you know, a little bit about just what you're seeing in the security space now, like what, you know, what's been relevant for 
for your actual work at Auth Zero, and and if you have any, I guess, general tips or like trends that you're seeing, um, maybe for people that are, I'm sure most people are familiar with Auth Zero, but maybe if people aren't familiar or just don't really even know where to start in a space like that, um, what your thoughts are there? I know that's a broad question, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I think uh, starting with what Auth Zero is would be a good one. So yeah. we are uh, an identity. Uh, company. And the, I think this, the simple answer is we help developers add authentication and authorization into their applications. Like we want to help developers that want to build stuff, whether they're just kind of your average one-off developer or their enterprise development teams or whatever, whatever scale, help developers build the stuff that they care about. And we facilitate taking care of the authentication authorization side. And I think that is probably the general trend. So I spend a lot of my time talking about the Jamstack, which is JavaScript APIs and markup. And for people that have never heard of that, it's not super important. Basically, my interpretation is it's kind of a new idea of how we combine existing technologies together. Like a lot of the stuff that people talk about in the Jamstack is stuff that's been around for a while. We're just now combining it in different ways. And we're seeing more and more of these SaaS software as a service products come up that do little niche things for you and do it really well. Talk about database options that have really specific benefits. Talk about media management with a company like Cloudinary, talk about um, sending text messages and other services from a company like Twilio or authentication with Auth0. There's so many of these different SaaS products that are really good at doing one specific thing. For me as a developer and like someone with an entrepreneurial mindset and like wanting to build a product or a startup, like it now becomes how do I bring in these other pieces and let those other companies take care of like those specific things so that I can build a thing that's specific to my application, right? Because like the thing that doesn't make your application great is the database behind the scenes or the th or how authentication is handled. The mm -hmm. thing that makes your application great is whatever like unique value you have to add. So now we get to leverage these different services, put them together and then really focus on the thing that makes uh, the product or whatever it is the most valuable. So we we fit into that category. Like we just want to help facilitate people building applications and, and basically let developers do their thing mm -hmm. and take care of the really nitty gritty about some of the details behind authentication. So a lot of, a lot of my time recently is working with uh, like our new SDKs and kind of creating content around them uh, and showing that with people. So we've done Next.js recently. I'm a big Next.js fan. We had a React SDK come out in the summer last year. We had a new Node SDK. Um, doing, being around technologies that I'm already interested in and then seeing how easy authentication becomes to add to your sites. Again, like I get, I get that same, uh, that same benefit as, as me, the average developer. Now I'm so much more capable of building something and building it faster because of these different services like Auth0 Auth for taking care of, uh, authentication needs. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's a great overview and, and a good point, and, and what you're saying is resonating just from something that we talk about at Harper a lot too, is the goal of services and softwares like this is to let developers focus on what they want to do so they don't have to stress about all these other moving parts. And so I think that's, um, it's a really great kind of like joint message and, and goal of, of any type of helpful tools that are out there is um, just making developers' lives easier. And so um, I think that that's a great overview. One thing I'm curious about um, for people listening, just, just for advice or, um, general knowledge. So if people don't, um, you know, if someone's building an app and they don't use something like auth zero are, are, are a lot of developers trying to 
you know, do that off in house, like actually find a solution for that themselves? Or, or is there a big risk for not even really facing it until later on in a project? Like what's the really big value out of incorporating something like that, I guess, early on or at some point? Yeah, this is, this is probably similar discussion again for lots of the different SaaS products of build versus buy. And for authentication, I think a lot of us are, are very capable of getting started with authentication, like simple or maybe not so simple things to some people, but you kind of learn really quickly, like don't store your passwords in plain text, like hash them and salt them. And there's libraries that help take care of that. Um, those sort of basics of facilitating like a login process, a sign up process, maybe use JSON web tokens to like track the user. Setting that stuff up is really not that bad, but it, it ramps up pretty quickly when you look at like, all right, how do you do email verification? How do you do password reset? Two features that are not like that hard, but still for an individual just working on a project, that's not where I really want to spend my time. So it takes a little bit to do that. And then you get into like more and more features. How do I integrate with different social providers? If I'm an enterprise company, how do I do SSO? How do I do these old uh, enterprise connections that I have? How do I do multi-factor authentication? Uh, thinking about like trends in the, the identity industry, I hear more and more people talk about just this blatant idea that passwords are bad. And they're bad because people choose really easy passwords. They write them down and leave sticky notes on their monitor so then other people see them. And so we have all these hacks, right? And that's because it's really hard for individuals to create really strong passwords and then not reuse the same password across different applications. So you get into multi-factor authentication, you get into magic links with just email sign-in, you get into um, like using some piece of hardware or your, uh, your biometrics to get into an application. Like those are the sort of things that I think are kind of becoming now the new wave of, of how you authenticate yourself. And if you think about it from a developer's point of view, that's a lot to like potentially take in. Like if you want to offer your customers the latest and greatest way to work with your app, you're having to constantly research these things like Apple and, and uh, Google with their uh, mobile platforms are continuously adding integrations and features and security things, not to mention just the general best practices of security. So I think that's where it's easy to get started with authentication. And then there's just like, people can't see my, my hand motion, but it's kind of like a roller coaster where you're doing this exponential growth of like the more you want to add, the more latest features you add or want to add. And the, the, the level of which you want to take your security to really prevent those breaches, which become really, really expensive, that's when you start to ramp up really quickly. So it's really cool, I think, from my perspective, as I say the average developer, like including myself, not in terms of skill level, just like an individual developer. Again, I don't, I don't have to worry about that stuff to get started. So it's really easy for me to get started. Uh, it's still pretty easy if I built it myself for the getting started part. But as soon as I want some of those extra features, now that stuff is kind of there for me and I don't have to build it myself. Yeah, no, that, that totally makes sense. And it's, it's interesting. I'm sure most people go through that, that same kind of trajectory that, that you mentioned of they, they get started, they think, okay, how much of this can I do myself and then get to a certain point and think like, okay, what's out there that can make this way easier for me and take all this off my plate. So um, I'm, I'm sure that's, that's pretty common. And, you know, some people probably will implement something like that right away but um yeah it's kind of one of those just probably learning experiences that a lot of people need to go through and then once you do um kind of get that off your plate and, and use a tool like that that can handle it it's like oh okay wish i did this sooner this is way easier and <laughs> makes me feel a lot a lot better and more secure so i think i think that's a good way to put it um and there's i mean in your opinion is it is it ever 
too late to kind of make that switch or is it kind of like at any time, you know, as, as your project is growing at any time that you, that you decide to implement a service like this, it works. Um, it's probably the sooner, the better, but what, what's your opinion about that in terms of like timeline? Yeah, I think, well, one, like, I, I don't want to be the person that's just like, everybody should go and migrate. Like if, if your right. stuff is working for you and it's, it's going well, great. That's cool. Right. If you, if you decide you get to a point where you actually want to that you think you need the migration. Yeah. There's no, the longer you put it off, the more technical debt you're building for yourself. Right. right. And I think a lot of people have, have that mindset, even, even with people learning to code, right. They're like, Oh, I've, I've been working for too long. I don't have any relevant experience. I don't have the skills. I'm too old. Like those sort of things. Like the only thing you guarantee yourself, I hear Danny Thompson, if people follow him, talk about this a lot. Like if, mm-hmm. if you don't start, you'll never get there. Right. So if you, again, going back to like making decisions for yourself that you know makes sense, emotionally, you just kind of have to get over it a little bit. If you think that going with a product is going to solve those issues for you, there's no reason not to go ahead and do it now because you're just kind of prolonging the inevitable and right. building up technical debt along the way the more you wait for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like trust your, I don't know if I would call it an instinct, but trust that, I guess, mm-hmm. curiosity, at least at least do some research and figure out if that's a good option for you. And if it seems like all signs are pointing to yes, then don't wait for like some disaster to happen where then you're, <laughs> you're doing <laughs> disaster recovery and, and trying to fix things as opposed to be more proactive. So I think um, that's really important and, and interesting. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, that's a great overview in, in that space, I think of what you do. And, um, you know, for anyone out there listening, I think that James is a great resource in general for like, if you have questions about this, if you're wondering about, you know, security and auth for your app or any project you're working on, I, I feel like from, from the conversations we've had, James, and the content you put out there, it's not like, as you said, that you're going to try to tell everyone like, oh, migrate to this specific product, but you're just a great resource for like, giving advice of, okay, based on this information you're sharing, here's maybe a path to take. Um, I think that kind of like unbiased resource and, and advice giving is super important. And I know that you're one of the the people that can do that. So um, definitely for anyone listening, I'd encourage you not to, not to be afraid to reach out, ask questions, message, um, things like that. And I, I'll put all that info in the show notes of, of how to contact James and everything. But um, yeah, so usually before we go, unless there was anything else you wanted to add on the other two topics we were discussing, but usually before wrapping up, I like to ask guests, um, just if there's any, any other, you know, apart from, of course, off zero, any other technologies or tools or softwares you're super excited about that have come out this year or that are coming out or things you're watching. Um, I know a lot of people like to geek out on, on different new things or, or anything that's been around for a while that you just recently started using that might, um, make other people's lives easier too. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's so many, <laughs> honestly, <laughs> yeah. like I, I posted recently on Twitter, like if you had three hours to just learn something new, what would it be? And my answer would be like a million different things, but, um, <laughs> I've spent a lot of time the last several months with Next.js. That was new okay. for me six months ago. Cool. And I just absolutely love that. So that's been a lot of fun. Uh, I've used Tailwind CSS the last six months or so, and really, really enjoyed that. Not only from like helping build stuff quicker, but I feel like it, it also can kind of reinforce design principles because it gives you basically a style guide, which is really interesting if you think about it that way. Um, so those are shit I really enjoyed. I also, um, at work, we have an internal project where we're using Nest.js, which is kind of like an Angular looking uh, version of uh, Node backend. So it's using TypeScript. Okay. It follows the MVC pattern that uh, Angular does. 
And anyway, that's been really cool combined with Svelte as a front end. So I actually uh, have a couple of videos on Svelte coming out on my YouTube channel because I had been like working in this code base without really taking the time to kind of watch some tutorials first. So I was really fumbling around and not really understanding what was going on. So the more now that I've watched some YouTube videos on Svelte, it looks really, really nice. And Svelte Kit, uh, which is kind of like the the framework on top of Svelte, I guess. I may not uh, articulate this the best, but it provides things like server-side rendering like Next.js does. So I'm really looking forward for that. I think it's in beta right now for that to come out of beta and really be able to use it. So that's one of the one of the like newer technologies that I'm really looking forward to to diving more into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great list. I've actually, I mean, I've definitely seen people talking about all of those, and and it's funny you bring up Svelte because I've definitely, I don't even know where, but I've seen I've seen that coming up more and more. And I remember the other day I was like, I need to look into that because it seems like it's something that's about to be big. So mm-hmm. um, I'll definitely have to look check that out more. But um, yeah, that's a great list and. And it's probably hard to narrow it down, as you said, because there's constantly so much out there to learn and um, everyone's passionate about different things. And it's so cool to see people talking about sharing their experience of, oh, I've always I've always loved this language or framework, but now I'm using this and here's why it's different and better. And so um, cool that you share that experience, too, of like learning about that and that you have those videos coming out. So um, awesome. Well, I think this is been a, a super helpful and, and interesting conversation for me and, and probably for people listening too. And um, as I mentioned, I'll put all the information in the show notes of where you can find James and his content. And if you have any follow-up questions for either of us about anything we discussed today or other things that might be in James's wheelhouse, don't be afraid to, to reach out. We always love to hear feedback and questions from people. Um, so really appreciate your time, James. This was fun and I'm looking forward to keeping in touch, as you mentioned, on on all the different platforms out there. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Select Star, your resource for innovative technology and developer topics. You can find our episodes in all the usual places, Spotify, Apple, Google, RSS, and YouTube. Don't forget to rate, comment, subscribe, and share. You can learn more about HarperDB at harperdb.io.